Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. The handout reference during this presentation is available for download on the audio section of our website. First thing we're going to do is that, that Kelsey's going to actually pull up a couple of maps. So let's open up our Bibles actually to the text that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 21. This is the text that will be proclaimed for the procession of Palm Sunday this year. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at it in this. So we're going to go Matthew chapter 21. Okay, sounds good. I can read that. Through 17. Mm-hmm. And when they ne- drew near to Jerusalem and cam- came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their garments on them, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple of God, and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have brought perfect praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Okay. The thing I was going to say is that is really one of the most important things for me to do for you at the Institute is well to, to give you the tools that you need, right? To go back to your parishes, I was saying things like that, but also to do Bible study. Uh, and and so uh, the the first thing is from just a, just a, a, an approach standpoint is always to be willing to ask questions. You know, who, what, why, where, and when. If you ask answer those questions, you're well on your way to a solid exegesis of the text. And and so that you want to be looking for details and questions you can ask. And the first question, of course, the first detail is given to us 
is a geographical detail. It's the last detail given to us, by the way, also. If you take a look at chapter 21, verse 1, that when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, okay, and so forth. And then Jesus said to them, right, go to the village over there. Okay, so we have to you know, ask, ask questions about this text. And then look look at the last thing that is said uh, that in verse 17, that he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. This is a really cool detail because we're, we're going to have to find out that actually all during Holy Week, he's just going back and forth from Bethany to Bethphage, down the Mount of Olives to the temple, okay? So you kind of got to get into the scene. If you if you stand back and you try to do Bible study out here, it's not going to work. You got to get into the scene. You got to walk with Jesus, right? You got to kind of smell the donkey, if you will, right? You got to see all that going on. And then if you do that, you're going to be well into the text and be able to 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 enter in. Um, so so the first thing I want to do is just share with you a map of um, of where Jesus was going. Okay, so there you have Bethany, Bethphage. And they, look at the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you guys to get a sense of where you're at, the Kidron Valley, okay? And then up to the Temple Mount. In those days, those who have been to the Holy Land with me or maybe on another pilgrimage don't, maybe don't realize this, but right across the valley there, there, there was in those days a bridge so that the people could cross the Kidron and right into the Temple, okay? Um, and so Jesus spends his days. So look at this. It, at the beginning of the Gospel, it says, it's, it mentions Bethphage. But then at the end of the gospel, it says he went back to Bethany. Well, why? Why? Because it's like right there. It's just over the hill. And Bethphage is like on the top of the Mount of Olives, which is about a, maybe a half an hour walk up from the temple. Uh, and Bethany, again, another half an hour walk. That's all. And he's going back and forth because who's in Bethany, guys? Lazarus. Martha. Right? So if you're going to go visit Sacramento, who, who are you going to go stay with? Of course, he's hanging out with his friends. So all during Holy Week, he's back and forth on this Mount of Olives. Kelsey, let's go ahead and share Erpano, which is kind of a cool site. And, uh, and and you're going to be able to see Jerusalem from the standpoint of the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Kidron Valley and overlooking the Temple Mount. Okay, And this is very important that we have this vision because we're going to be looking in the Old Testament, a couple passages of why Jesus approached Jerusalem from this from this hill. He could have come from anywhere he wanted to come, right? But he decided to come over the Mount of Olives. So we're going to have a chance to take a look at that. All right, Kelsey, do you have that, Erpano? Yes. That's exactly it. Perfect. And you're looking down onto the Kidron Valley. And in some ways, this is the view that Jesus would have had coming over the Mount of Olives. There's a reason why See on the on this this well let's get our let's get our bearings first. Kidron Valley, Kelsey, you help us see the Kidron Valley here. See the Garden of Gethsemane right there. Okay, there's the right. So there's there's where he was. Then up to the Temple Mount. And then I want to look across because remember Jesus is standing here. He says, "Go over to that village over there." And of course, he's not talking about the city. Otherwise, he'd have said, "Go into the city." Right? No, he says, "Go to the village opposite." Well, what's the village opposite? If you go. Uh, past the Temple Mount and up to the toward the left, right? There's a hill, a hill like a, a shoulder. Yes, perfect. That is Mount Sion. Mount Sion is where the upper room is. And in those days, uh, Mount Sion was the hangout of the Essene community. Okay. So there's a reason why he knows, like, when you see the guy go down with the stone jar, right? He's the one. Follow him. 
to his place and tell him the master needs a room up there, right? Well, flies didn't go down to the, get the water. That was the job of the women, okay? But the people that sent their guys down to get water, and that was the Essenes because they were living in celibacy. So men would have to get their water jar to go down. And Jesus knows all those guys up there because he's friends with them, which is why, number one, he's going to go up there to the upper room. He's also, this is exactly where the apostles are going to hang out. Remember when they're afraid of the Jews? Well, if they're afraid of the Jews, why didn't they get out of Jerusalem? Well, because there was a place they could hide. They could hide in the place where all of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and everybody else hated everyone there. It's like, it's like the, the when you call it, like East L.A. or something. That's the Essene community. They're totally dedicated to prayer, and they're preparing for one thing, and that's the coming of the Messiah. Okay? He's buddies with all these guys. Okay? John the Baptist most likely was at least associated with them, and they've got a whole village in Jerusalem. Okay? So when he goes, he says, the master has need of it. Well, they know who the master is. They're all asking the same question. They all know that Jesus is, is, is an amazing, he's a prophet sent from God. Is he, is he the Messiah? We think he is. And they're the ones in the crowd, on one side of the crowd, the other side of the crowd, the, all the guys are going to turn him in, right? So, so he says that village opposite. Well, when you look across from the Kidron Valley, and from, from the Mount of Olives, the village opposite is, is Sion, okay? And he's going to go get on, he's going to ride in, and he's going to end up up there in uh in 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 the uh eventually at the upper room okay so we're going to come back to the text now guys and the next thing that's going to jump out at us as we're doing a bible study is a, a specific old testament quotation okay which is here you don't need father hezekiah to do this you just need to take time this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying tell the daughter sion <laughs> what Tell the daughters, yeah, tell the daughter Zion, he's coming. He's not only coming to the temple. And yet Zion is can, can speak of all of Jerusalem, but ultimately he's going into the Essene community. Okay. Tell the daughter Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on an ass on a colt, the foal of an ass. So as you're doing Bible study, what are you going to do? You're going to go down to your footnote, right? That's uh, chapter 21, verse you're going to come down the footnote on your Bible, chapter 21, okay, uh, verse 5, I'm sorry, and you'll see there, see that at the bottom of your Bible, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, you see that? So we're going to go and flip there. Let, let the, uh, you know, a lot of times commentators in some of the more liberal translations, you don't want to read their commentary, but when they give you a biblical verse to go back to like that, uh, it's it's good stuff. Where are you going to find Zechariah? You're going to go. You're going to go just to the beginning of your New Testament. That's Matthew, and then you're going to go backwards into the Old Testament through Maccabees and just before. Okay, and you're going to find Zechariah. So it's it's almost like two thirds of the way in your Bible there. Okay, or three quarters of the way in your Bible. Okay, Zechariah, Zechariah. Okay, and you're going to look at Zechariah chapter nine. Verse 9, but before we do that, as with any prophet, you're going to go to chapter 1, verse 1, okay? Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. Any prophet you're going to read, you have to do this because you can't just read a prophet and be like, what's he talking about? Prophets are very confusing unless you know when they're talking, right? Because you could be like, you don't know. You got a context. What's the, what the guy, what in the world is this guy talking about? Riding on a donkey in the fold of an ass. What, your king? 
what kind of king comes you riding like that? You know, I want a king coming in on the stallion, baby, you know, with the military force and the cannons and the, you know, M16s. We got to whoop some butt. So Zechariah chapter one, verse one is going to tell you what's going on. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Ido, the prophet, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers, okay, and so forth. Now, I'm just going to stop for a second. But why is this important? If you, if you can, you, you have, there's a whole Bible study right there. Who's Darius? Who's Darius? Okay, Darius is the king of the Persians. He has another name. Many people think he's the same person. I think it's true as Cyrus. He is the king who releases the Jews from Babylon and lets them go back to build the temple. Okay? That's super important because you've got to realize that this is in the second year of Darius. Well, well, if we know that Cyrus, when he came to the throne, he has this vision of God and he says, the Jews got to go back to build the temple. God told me this. He was a pagan. Like, it's the most miraculous a uh, cool thing that happened, okay? And you can look if you want at the end of Second Chronicles for that, when Cyrus proclaims, the end of Second Chronicles, he proclaims the release of the Jews from Babylon, okay? Well, this puts us in a whole context, guys. So Matthew is quoting Zechariah to the people and saying, guys, you have to understand that this guy riding into Jerusalem is just doing what the prophet said he was going to do. Okay, and why is it that the king has to ride into into the holy city? Why is it? Well, first of all, first of all, it's important imagery going on here in Zechariah that it, it, it's going to take us back to David. Okay, um, when David was dying, he had his son do exactly this: his son Solomon. Okay, so we're going to go take a look at that real quick in First Kings chapter one. First Kings chapter one, verse. Well, let's look at verse 1 real quick. Chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Kings. Now, King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. So he's dying, right? He's dying. So, so as he's dying, in verse 32, he says, King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon, my son, to ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. Now, again, Bible study, where's Gihon? Gihon is the spring in the city of David. Go back to Pono, uh, Air Pono thingy, and I'm going to show you where that is real quick. You have to know, you can't just be like Gihon. He's talking about Jerusalem. Okay, if we come over the Temple Mount, Okay, to the left, right immediately to the left. That's the city of David. That's the ancient throne spot of Melchizedek. In fact, they've uncovered Melchizedek's original throne city, believe it or not, underground. It's totally crazy, going way back almost to the creation of the world. Okay, and it's there at the base of the city of David, just over that little shoulder, that the spring of Gihon, right there in the valley off the tip, right there, the spring of Gihon comes gushing out of the ground. So he says, take him down to the right on the shoulder of the city of the throne and there declare him to be the king. Okay. All right. So now we have to ask a question. Well, if Solomon is declared to be king there, of course, Solomon has sons, he has sons, he has sons, right? 
Well, why why is, is Zechariah saying that the king has to come in riding on riding like Solomon? Why, what's there is there must be something wrong that he's not already in his throne city, right? And well, exactly, there is something wrong, and that is that the Babylonian exile took place, and by all by all uh, judgment, the throne of David had had fallen. So when Cyrus or Darius sends the people of God back to rebuild the temple, they are looking for the return of the king. This is why Ze- Zechariah says, "Your king's going to come." And he's going to come like Solomon. Why? Because when the people of God came back from Babylon, they came over these the, to look at Jerusalem. And what did it look like? It was devastated. It had been burned to the ground. It was a trash heap. So Zechariah says, your, your king's coming. And he's going to come like Solomon. Why? What was the one thing, Melanie, that Solomon did? Well, he did a lot of things. But what's the big thing he did? The temple built the temple of God so that the presence of God could come and be in the midst of his people. And how did the people of God know that the Lord was with them? How did they know for sure that God was dwelling in his temple in his holy city? What was the one sign for them? The Shekinah glory, the cloud. The cloud of glory that had, that had, that had given protection to the people during the, during the exodus once, te- once Solomon built the temple, the cloud of glory filled the temple, okay? is the evidence of the presence of God. For the people of God faced a major problem in the time of Zechariah when they returned by the order of Cyrus or Darius. Even when they rebuilt the temple, the glory cloud never came back. Do you know that the priest, when he entered into the temple, from the time the Babylonian exile, for 500 years, when he entered into the Holy of Holies, nothing was there. The black box. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant had been lost, okay, uh, during, hidden by Jeremiah, the, the prophet. The glory cloud had departed the temple. And when the glory cloud departed the temple, this is so important for what Jesus does here. It does so in a particular way. So let's go real quick to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel uh, chapter 11. Ezekiel, go forward in your Bible. You're in 1 Kings. So just start scanning forward. Past the Psalms, okay, past Isaiah, and you're going to find Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel is there in the time of this, of the, of the fall of Jerusalem. And, and this is what he says in chapter 11, Ezekiel chapter 11. This is at the moment of the crisis when the Babylonians are about to just destroy Jerusalem just in the before that. Ezekiel has his vision of the temple. In chapter 11, verse 22, he says, Then the cherubim lifted up their wings, and the wheels and the glory of God of Israel was over them. That's the the glory cloud, okay, the Shekinah cloud. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. What mountain is that, Melanie Ryland? What mountain is on the eastern side of Jerusalem? The Mount of? The Mount of Olives. Bingo. That hill we were just looking at is where the glory cloud went, and it mounted on top of the hill. What town is on top of the hill? Message. Jesus goes to this spot, literally the spot, and then, of course, it it goes on. It said it lifted up, and it went off. It, it, It departed. Okay? 
never to return. So when the people of God are coming back to Jerusalem, Zechariah says, look, your king is going to come. And they know what that is going to look like. They have two problems post-Babylonian exile. Two problems. That both kings are gone from the throne. The glory cloud of God does not return. Okay. And the king, the son of David, does not return either. Okay. This is a way, by the way, this, this whole cloud departing. This is why Jesus says, real fast, go back to Matthew with me real fast. Matthew chapter 24. Uh, and then remember, this is just out. This is Jesus enters in Jerusalem, right? Before this, in Matthew in chapter 21, Palm, uh, Palm Sunday. So he's in, he's in Jerusalem. He's going back and forth now during Holy Week. And look at what he says in chapter 24, verse, verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay? You know, why is the coming of the Son of Man going to be like this? Because that's the exact opposite of what happened to the Babylonian exile, which is why, going back to Arapano, please, over Jerusalem, looking, standing with Jesus in Bethphage, overlooking the holy city, the biggest thing you see is this massive hillside of tombs. Look at that. Why? Because the people that died wanted to be buried in the very spot where the glory of God would return when the king was going to be restored to Jerusalem. Hmm? That's pretty cool stuff, okay? And they're going to ride. They know what's going to happen. Listen, guys. They know. That when that day comes, he's going to bring life and the dead will rise from the tombs. Okay. Of course, Jesus is, well, we're in the New Testament. Might as well go there. Look at John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now I'm going to flip to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, the glory of the only son of the father. Do you see that? Jesus is the glory of God. What was in the Old Testament, a cloud has now been enfleshed in the son of man. When Jesus comes over that Mount of Olives, it is the king of glory returning to his holy temple. And the people understand this. Okay. The people understand this. Let's take a look at their reaction. So I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 21. Jesus comes to Bethphage, the very spot where the glory cloud departed from. Knowing Zechariah, he says to me, I'm not going into Jerusalem until you bring me the beast of burden to ride in like Solomon, who built the temple of God so that the presence of the Lord could be among his people. Go and get it for me so that I can ride in and fulfill Zechariah. And then, verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the ass and the colt and put their garments on them. And he sat there, and he, he sat there on. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Okay, we need to take a look at this because now they're going to react. Okay, they're going to do two things. They are going to um, they're going to sing Hosanna to the Son of David, okay? And they're going to take branches and they're going to break them off the trees and they start waving them in there and throwing them in front of him. And you have to understand 
why they do this. And to understand this action that they do, we have to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus is very important because uh, it tells of the great feast days of the Jews. Okay? And one of those feast days is the Feast of Booths, which remembers something very important, the dwelling of God among his people and his protective glory cloud during the time of Mount, uh, during the time of the of the exodus so the uh, the idea of what is about to take place in jerusalem the connection to this feast is very important we're going to see that play out okay um uh leviticus chapter 23 verse 33 and the lord said to moses say to the people of israel on the 15th day of the seventh month and on the seventh day that is the feast of booths to the lord okay now i'm going to come down to verse 39 on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest. On the eighth day, a solemn rest. You shall take on the first day the fruits of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Now, guys, here's what you have to understand. The feasts of the Jews are always built in layers. All of the feasts are built in layers. And the most fundamental layer is the natural layer, okay? By which God's people, having been exiled from paradise, looked around them and gave glory to God for what they saw, okay? So three of the great feasts of the Jews are the are harvest feasts, huh? When, when grapes start coming off the vine, you've got to say, thank you, you know, thank you, Jesus. You know, they weren't saying thank you, Jesus, but you know what I mean? They're giving glory to God. So these harvest, this harvest level, and this is one of the harvest feasts. This is the great harvest feast because it's the final harvest of the year. It took place in the fall, okay, in like September, like that time period. The last of the harvest feasts, okay, which is why you see right there in verse uh, 39, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, there you go, there's your harvest. When you've harvested, then take some, some, some leafy branches palms, willows, leafy boughs, whatever you got, and take them up because they're the symbol that God has given you this gift and have a big party so you can eat a lot of food, dance and say, thank you, Jesus, for everything you've given to me. Okay? All right, that's the natural layer. Okay? There's a second layer that's laid on top of this. And that layer is in all of the in all of the festivals takes place also is the layer of the Exodus, the time of the Exodus. Right. You think Passover, you think Exodus. Passover was originally the beginning of the spring harvest. Pentecost is the is the, is the, 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 the feast of fruits. OK, so these are these are harvest festivals originally. And on top of the harvest festival, then the actions in which the Lord came and made his presence known among his people, not just by fruits and branches and things like that, but by his physical intervention in their lives. Okay. And so we, we get that here in verse 42, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All, all that are native in Israel shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord, your God. Do you see that? So this was a feast that took place every year among the Jews. They would take branches. They'd put branches up on the roof of their house and make a hut 
they get inside that hut. They live like that for seven days. Every day they would take up leafy branches and they would wave them in the air. And they're called the lulab. Okay. And they would hold citrus in their hand, uh, fruits, evidence of the harvest. And they would sing to the Lord and give glory to him for this great moment in their lives in which, you know, think about it, guys. They didn't have a, they didn't have Costco. We're going to got to go to Costco and there's 200 people in line because of the virus. No, if they didn't get a harvest, they were going to die. And they harvested, they're going to live another year. Do you, you understand how no refrigerators, no freezers, okay? It's a, this is this moment in which they give glory to God for their life and his gift of life to them. And I want you to imagine what that's like, being inside this hut of branches with fruits hanging down. It's a garden. The people of God says, you know, this what, what we're doing here is remembering that God is going to bring us back, not only to Jerusalem, but he's going to return us to paradise. Okay? And looking forward, the prophets begin describing the coming of the Messiah in this way. Okay? Now, there's another layer that's laid on top of this feast. And that is the layer of the of, of the king of Jerusalem. The king of Jerusalem used this feast, the feast of, of booths in particular, as his annual enthronement feast. Okay? Why? Well, look, if you're a king and you want to be like great among your people, you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to do it in the middle of winter when nobody has anything, right? No, I'm going to do it when everybody has everything. So the final harvest, when the whole all everything's coming, the grapes and everything and we're drinking wine because by that time they've harvested the grapes and they've made the wine. They're ready to go for the big party. Oh, who do you have to be thankful for for the big party? It's the king. And so this began to be used as the feast of the enthronement of the king. We pick this up in Psalm 118. So let's turn to Psalm 118. This psalm was written specifically for this feast, as we're going to see. And specifically in relationship to the, to the throne of David and the enthronement of the king. Okay? Listen, listen how it begins. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You know, this is so, like, I remind, I remind my Protestant brothers and sisters, because this is the kind of thing they would say, right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good. We got to get back to this. We shouldn't, let, we shouldn't let them, you know, rip this away from us. This is our psalm. Give thanks to the Lord. You know, he's, look at what he's done around us in our life. You know, praise God for what he's done. And, and look at, look at verse, verse 25. Save us, we beseech thee, O Lord. The word there in save, save us, back to the Greek and back to the Hebrew is Hosanna. Okay, and this is a problem. We do a translation and we don't know what, what's being said. Hosanna. We beseech you, O Lord, O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who's going to come in the name of the Lord is, is the king, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. For the Lord is God. He has given us light. Bind the festal branches to the horns of the altar, baby, because the king is entering into glory. Okay? Bind the festal branches to the altar and sing out this psalm, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, my brothers and sisters, if the king isn't on the throne anymore and the glory cloud hasn't actually returned, then the only thing you can say is that when he does, we know what we're going to do. Yes? 
All right. You need to look at two final passages. The first is, uh, is Ezekiel chapter 34. This is a, a bit of a mind blower here, guys, because you're going to start to understand why Jesus was saying what he was saying when he entered into Jerusalem and he started to get really in your face with the Pharisees. Okay. Because when he goes down in Jerusalem, he doesn't just go in there and be like, all right, guys, I'm the king. No, he goes in there, he starts throwing over tables, and he gets in the face of the Pharisees, and he picks a massive fight with them. And he does so by way of Ezekiel chapter 34. Okay? The verse thir- chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ho, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Okay? Guys, any thoughts about the gospel text, about Jesus' words, about about uh, about wolves in sheep's clothing? Okay? And about the voice of the shepherd and the sheep following him? Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. They're eating the sheep. Okay? When you go back and read this in Jesus' condemnation of the leaders of the Jews, this is he's quoting from, uh, from Ezekiel chapter 34. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the crippled you have not bound, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, with force and harshness you have ruled over them. So they're scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They were wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds have the word of God as I live, says the Lord God, because my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there is no shepherd because my shepherds have not searched for their sheep. For the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed the sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his flock, when some of his sheep have been scattered abroad, so will I seek out my sheep. Now rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the days of clouds and thick darkness. But I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and will feed them on the mountains of Israel for the fountains and in all the inhabited places. I will feed them. Look at verse 15. And I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down, says the Lord, and I will seek the lost. This is the mission of Jesus Christ, the shepherd who is the son of the shepherd who is David. David is the shepherd and Jesus is the son of the shepherd. And he is also the Lord who is going to become the shepherd of his people. And in this moment, in the prophets, these two figures, the divine king and the human king, the son of David, begin to converge. The people of God looking forward to the coming of Messiah realize that their human kings have failed them. 
And the only one who can possibly lead them, the only one who can possibly be the king of Israel, is the Lord himself. And verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. Do you see this? In the same chapter, both the Lord is going to be shepherd and the son of David is going to be shepherd and they're going to be one. Look at Zechariah chapter 14, and we'll bring this to a close. This is after chapter 9, verse 9, that we already looked at. Verse 8. And on that day, that day is the day of the Messiah, on that day living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, spring of Gihon, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will become king over all the earth. Verse 16. Then, when this happens, everyone that survives of all the nations shall come against Jerusalem, shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. The people of God believed that when the Messiah returned, all of the other feasts of the Jews would fall away. All of the other feasts of the Jews would fall away, and they would celebrate forever the feasts of God's presence among his people, which is the Feast of Booths, which is why in this moment when Jesus goes to the very spot that the evidence of God's presence among his people departed, he says, get me the beast of burden that I might ride in as the son of David. When they saw him do this, they threw off their preparations for Passover and began to wave the branches of the Feast of Tabernacles and chant Psalm 118, Hosanna to the Son of David, to declare that this one writing in is none other than the, pro- the one prophesied by Zechariah, the one prophesied by Ezekiel, that he is truly the one that they were waiting for. He is the Messiah, the son of David. Okay. I'm going to conclude with a quotation from Father Alexander Schmemann, and then I'm going to uh, proclaim John chapter 12, the uh, entrance of Jesus. Uh, Father Alexander Schmemann says this, the double feast of Lazarus's resurrection and the entrance of the Lord into Jerusalem is described in liturgical texts as the beginning of the cross. And it is to be understood, therefore, within the context of Holy Week. The raising of Lazarus, the beginning, the beginning of both the cross as the supreme sacrificial or sacrifice of love, the resurrection as the ultimate triumph of love. This is the light and joy that illumines darkness itself. It reveals the ultimate meaning of the cross, the raising of Lazarus is the declaration that what is coming is not only going to be for Jesus, but it is the universal resurrection of mankind when all of the holy people will come forth from their tombs in order to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and sing the exact thing that every single one of you sings every time you go to church. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord for we Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles now for all eternity, having Jesus, who is our King, living in our midst, and we who are his people living according to his law 
of love. Now, put down your Bibles. I'm going to sing for you the Gospel of John chapter 12, okay? Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany to the home of Lazarus, and he had raised from the dead. And they made him a supper there, and Martha served while Lazarus was one of those sitting at table with him. Mary therefore took a pound of ointment, genuine nard of great value, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and with her hair wiped his feet dry. And the house was filled with odor of ointment. Then one of his disciples, Judas, son of Simon, the Iscariot, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? Now he said this, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and holding the purse, used to take what was put in it. Jesus therefore said, let her be. She was keeping it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not only because Jesus, but that they might see Lazarus, the man who was raised from the dead. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. For on account of many of the Jews began to leave them and to believe in Jesus. Now the next day, the great crowd which had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took palm fronds and went out to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young ass and sat upon it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter Zion, behold, your king comes, sitting upon the colt of an ass. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. The crowd, therefore, which was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. And the reason why the crowds also went to meet him was that they heard that he worked this Okay, that's our Bible study. It has been one hour. <laughs> I was supposed to take 25 minutes. I apologize. I hope that you got some good stuff out of it. There's much more to say. You know, you could do Bible study just on Son of Man in the Old Testament. There's just so much to do. But I hope that you were able to glean some benefit from that. Um, so what we're going to do here, guys, now that we're at the end of the one hour, 
We're going to just change gears for those that can stay with us. And we're going to talk about some practical things about how we might attend Palm Sunday, uh, how we can celebrate Palm Sunday. Um, and so what I'm going to do is real quick, just real quick, give you some, some pointers. And then we're going to have a little bit of discussion for those who can stay with us. So if, though, if you can stay for just like maybe five more minutes, I'm going to do this next piece, which I think is can be very helpful to you. Okay. Um, and talk, talk with you about some of the, uh, the, the uh, opportunities you have and the things we're providing through the Institute. Okay. Does that sound, sound good to you guys? Okay. The first thing is the branches. As you heard in Leviticus, they didn't just carry palm branches, uh, whatever. They carried leafy branches, you know, whatever they could get their hands on. So what's, what's appropriate? Well, anything you got. You know, Melanie's got her palm tree over there from last year. She's been keeping because she she's a prophet of God and she prophetess of God. She knew that she was going to need us. She got whacked those off and she's going to go take them outside. But you know what I did? I went outside and I just took some branches. I live in California, obviously. It's, you know, I got flowers on my trees and stuff. Some of you don't have that. But I thought, isn't that nice? Some red leaves and green leaves and some flowers. Um this seems to me the kind of thing they've been building their huts out of, right? So um, you can go outside and find anything. If you, I mean, if you live in Michigan, you know, I mean, but if you live in Michigan, you know, you have bigger problems than not being able to go to church or Palm Sunday. You know? <laughs> I'm kidding. I love my Michigan brothers and sisters. But uh, no, you can find something evergreen. And you know what? Pine trees, that's a gift from God, Kelsey. That, you know, those are gifts from God. Go look. Besides that, in Virginia right now, there's got to be um, uh, magnolia leaves that are out. Dogwoods. Oh, the dogwoods are out right now, aren't they? Um, uh, yeah, it's about time. There's lots of stuff out. Go get some green branches and make yourself a nice bouquet like this, okay? And, you know, I didn't have the, the ribbon, but you can make it nice and wrap some ribbon around there, right? So you can hold it. Isn't that beautiful? And you can take and you can take your vase and you just put your bouquet in your vase and put this in your prayer corner, okay? Now, you know, I know I'm, I'm slightly nutty. I, I, I admit that. So um, what I'm going to do is just give you some layers of what you might want to do. The first thing is to make a bouquet for yourself so that in your home, in your prayer corner, in your prayer corner is uh, your, you know, a reminder to you and your declaration before God that he is your king, so important as we're going into this week. Um, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Let, let's go and die with him, as Thomas says in the Gospel of John. He knows what's coming. So he says, let's go die with him. So let's go to the cross together. And this is our declaration. We call this the symbol of victory in that hymn we were singing earlier. It's our symbol that he's our king. Hosanna, save us from our enemies. Save us from this virus. Save us, Lord. Intervene in my life. I'm willing to go to the cross with you. And through the cross to the day of the resurrection. So that's number one. Put this in your prayer spot in your home, okay? The second thing to do is to, to, to make some uh, a procession. I really encourage you to do that. Um, and maybe you're not, uh, until I can't do that. Okay, fine. fine. But you can pray there in your corner, in your spot, okay? But if you can make a procession, then take up your homes and walk through your house. Okay. What about maybe even going outside your house? Do you have like an, uh, is it possible you can walk around your house where you live? Okay. Or if you're crazy like Father Ezekias, then you go all the way down to the end of the road in the middle of a hundred percent rain. They're calling for a hundred percent rain in Sacramento. We're going out anyways. Okay. Full vestments, incense, 
taking up the cross, everything we're going out. So the, there's one, take up your cross in one hand, okay? But you probably have like a cross on your wall. And so you can, maybe it's not silver, but a wood cross, you can do that, take this up like this. Okay, you would just like this, like, what's that guy doing? <laughs> a weirdo, you know? But if you like this, they'll be like, oh, that's a Christian, okay? So there's there's another layer. This is what you could do, right? Maybe you can go down to the front, down your driveway and back up. Maybe God willing, your neighbor sees you, okay? And then they think you're really nutty. But yeah, then you can go all the way down to your road and back if you want and uh, and make your procession. So I really encourage you to, to do that. Um, and then we're going to give you some resources, okay? Kelsey's going to share the page there with you about some things we're giving you, okay? And we're going to just show you a few things that might be helpful, okay? Okay, so on the event page for this event, if you go to um, enter the classroom here, underneath resources, we have a couple different things. One, we have this handout. Um, so this handout has a Psalm 119. 118. 118, right? Um, okay, then the gospel passage, which um, we read at the start, and then some different hymns. Now, this is the sheet music for these three, and we have audio files, so I'll get to that in a minute. And we also have, I guess, do you want to talk about this now, spiritual communion? Oh, there's a, spirit, there's a, spirit, a spiritual communion there, that kind of a little guided spiritual communion, so you can do that if you like, okay, for during, you know, as you're preparing for, if you're going to, maybe you're going to attend Mass on, on, on Sunday online or something like that, here's a little guide for you, okay? I do want to go back up to the music a little bit, because I'll talk just real quick about each one of these pieces, okay? The first one is from the Byzantine tradition. It's a little hymn. We've got a recording for you also. We're going to show you that we have recordings on each of these, okay? But we're giving these to you so you have it in front of you. And maybe if you feel comfortable singing, then you can sing this, okay? That's maybe another level. But but we're going to sing this. It's a really simple little hymn. And we have the the, the recording so that you can practice it, okay? So here's... Here's how it goes. My, my family's here with me. They're gonna they're gonna help me. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the King who comes in the name of the Lord. you guys to see my family too so it's my wife linda and mariana come here please come here and mariana say hello to everyone okay there you go okay all right uh there you go very simple little thing you can repeat right you could learn that by sunday couldn't you you know uh i think i could even learn it and i can't even sing to save my life all right then the next one down you guys have known this since your childhood so you got you, you got this one right you do holy god we praise thy name Oh, 
Look at this, guys. This beautiful. Thank you, Ryland family. They're talking about everlasting as I reign, the scepter, right, of the king, bowing down before him. This is Palm Sunday material. Am I right? And you could just repeat that first verse, by the way. You don't have to do all these other verses. Just keep repeating the same verse over and over again. That's fine. You know, how beautiful that is. Or maybe you're like, I can't go in procession. Just It's just not me. Well, you can sing this. Okay. All right. Fine. You see it right in your prayer spot. That's what I'm saying with your spouse, maybe, or whoever you're with. Okay. And then the next one is maybe a little more complicated, but still the same idea about the king. so much so look what we're going to do for you guys not only do we have live music in the institute this is great families getting together this is what we need to be doing during this time uh so thank you uh wonderful rylands and uh and whatever your last names are you know so kelsey show us show show us our resources page um for so that people could practice you know mm -hmm. the uh the music look what we did for you guys you, you got all the tools you need for your celebration of Palm Sunday, okay. Yeah, so you can just click on any of these links, and it'll. Um, well, I didn't share my computer sound, but you can, you can just play them from there. Cool. So we've got all three of those hymns for you. So here's what I would do: I'd choose which one you're going to do, and I would just put it on repeat for the next, like you know, whatever it is, sixty hours or whatever you got till Palm Sunday in your house. You'll be so going crazy that you won't even be able to sing. in the middle of the night. You'll be singing the same song over and over and over again, right? And you'll be humming it, and then you got it. You know, Saint Jerome said, "Was it Saint Jerome said when you pray, you sing twice. You sing, you pray twice." Saint Augustine, yeah, when you sing, you pray twice. So that's beautiful. Now you're saying, "Father Hezekiah, you crazy? I can't sing." Well, you know what? You got a cell phone. You know, and what you can do is you can put your cell phone on kind of medium volume because it'll help you. And then you just hit repeat on that thing. And then you go walk down the street singing full volume with a little earbud. And they don't know you're cheating. You know what I mean? And you've got your person keeping you together. And you're singing away. Anybody you see, Hosanna to the son of David. Beautiful. We got to, look, we got to get, we got to kind of break out of our shell a little bit. Because that's what they did. You know, the Roman, the Roman authorities were standing there. You know that. They were there. They knew where Jesus was at any given time. They knew exactly what was going on because he had just raised Lazarus from the dead and they were preparing to arrest him when he walked in. So they were, they were tracking him. And when they sang out, they knew, they knew exactly what they were doing. They were committing treason in the face of the Roman authorities. Okay. So if you're nervous about going outside, you think about being nervous on the Mount of Olives that day. Are we really going to do it? We really going to come out and declare that he's the king and that these soldiers, we reject them. We reject Caesar. We reject the oppression. We reject all of it. Okay. And they're riding around on stallions. Let me tell you that. And Jesus goes and gets on this little, you know, colt. He's our king. So, you know, if you got to, you got to think about what's going on and you got to make that yours. 
okay, at any given level that you can do so. In every one of those levels, no matter what level you get to on that, wherever, God's going to be glorified and, and, and is going to, because you did, what, what he wants from us is the best we can give him, right? So that, and that best comes in every form and fashion. So you can, maybe you have other ideas of what you want to do, but, but do it, you know, make Palm Sunday yours and his and all of ours together. Not because the priest went and bought the palms down at the florist and handed them out and you made a little cross and went home. It's ours. Jesus is my king and I will follow him wherever he takes me. And if he takes me, if I have to pass through the the virus business, I'm going to pass through it with him because I know he's able to transform every aspect of my life, the sickness, the death, the tears. He can transform all of it and return me to where I need to be, which is in, in his love, the transformed world by his love and come back to paradise. Okay. So we, we need to do this as a community, as a church. All right. Um, I'm sure you've got some other ideas and things. We are, we are now at the kind of a break point where I'm going to say my, my part of my presentation is done. We're going to go into Q&A and have a chance to maybe talk about other questions you have, how you can celebrate the, the day, some other ideas of how to make this day very much wonderful and while we're in a time of sadness, we're going to ch- just change it by the joy of the Lord. Okay. So, um, so let's go ahead and do that. I have a question, Father. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm wondering if you, what advice you would have for Holy Week, especially in terms of like, I've been inundated. Our parish isn't doing anything. So then it's, but you're also seeing ton. I'm seeing tons of options for liturgies and it's like, should I just pick and choose like, what do I do? And then how do I set both my time apart and my space apart? Like, do you have any ad- advice about setting your computing, computer or your TV up with your prayer corner? And just, and, and how do you, like, now all of a sudden, my home is my church and my church is my home. You know what I mean? And so it's like this weird sense of, how do I get that sense of place? I guess. First of all, I think the number one most important thing you said was, I want to make a plan. Okay. You got to make a plan. Otherwise yeah. you're going to be like this. Oh, there's another mass. Oh, there's another, this I'm going to, and you'll spend your whole Holy week on, on, you know, like this on the television. Okay. Trying to ha- have this, like, you know, come to Jesus moment in front of your television. I'm not a big fan of having come to Jesus moments in front of our television, but uh, you know, so we want to make a plan. Okay. And so that's what I would, that's the number of thing I would do. I get out a piece of paper, whether it's with your spouse, by yourself, with your family. And I'd say, let's talk about our plan. What are we going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Okay. Um, and so that, so that it's, it's, we're kind of ordered in our life. It's very important. The kind of big things you want to make sure are in place are, um, are uh, times for prayer, times for silence. Okay. Uh, times for uh, opening our eyes to what's around us. That, that's, a, that's a part of silence. You know, but I mean, things like taking a walk, going to a place of, of solitude or quiet, if you possibly can, is good if you can do that. Um, but then you're saying, well, you know, but, but I want some support in my prayer life. I, want support. I don't want to be just maybe you're living alone. You do. You need that support. And so, number one, first of all, I want to I want to say that it's it's always the intention of the Institute to not replace your parish, but to kind of invigorate your engagement in your parish. So sometimes we have to go and re- retreat to a place in order to come back to it, right? 
So the Institute kind of offers that regular type opportunity for retreat during the week. And we're doing a lot more right now, but we want to be able to engage also in our local community. So I encourage you, number one, you know, we record that tips and tricks thing. This isn't really to your point, Melanie, but you know, if your parish isn't doing anything, um, you might call your pastor and be like, hey, you know, I can help you. And then we'll help you. I was, I just spent, or actually Andy, Kelsey, myself, we were all in a meeting with a priest in Los Angeles and he was asking questions. We were helping him out, sending him links, how he can get a camera and how he can do that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so we're here. We want to help you. Um, then I would say, I would encourage you to stay close to your, to your local community in this way. If your parish isn't doing anything, maybe your bishop is. Okay. I, I love EWTN. Uh, I love Bishop Barron. Okay. I love the Institute. Can I put the Institute in there? I hope so. Um, but, but I don't want to just stay at, th at that level. Um, I, I, I want, if I possibly can, I, I, God's put real people in my life. Uh, and, and the Institute in some ways is like that, but also, you know, you want to probably, you probably miss your priest. I mean, this crazy priest up here online at the Institute doesn't quite, doesn't quite do it. So you know, make see if possibly even a phone call to your pastor if nothing's going on. Keep regular contact with him. But um, I would just say try to be local about your participation online if you can. You might want to pick up some other stuff along the way if it's planned, right? Take a look at what the institute is offering, or Bishop Barron, or whatever it is, or 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 EWTN. Make a plan for that, but also see what's going on locally. You want to be able to maybe. Maybe your bishop is doing a, a, the, the, the mass for Holy Thursday. You know, maybe he's, maybe he's, uh, you know, in a, in a, a home where there, where there are other priests and things and he's going to wash their feet or something like that. I don't know. Um, so I would encourage you on that way. I'd also encourage you, and I'm going to come more to your, your, it's a big question you're asking, but I did write some things down actually on this, on this related to this point. You know, if you're a catechist in your parish, you should be calling up your, your your students and your parents and just talking. How are you doing? I'm not saying you have to get on there and teach a class, but how are you doing? We're praying for you. Um, are you receiving, you know, father's emails uh, or the you know, that kind of thing? Are you keeping up on your reading of the gospel? You know, you might send out as a catechist the gospel for this coming Sunday, things like that, to give some encouragement. Um, uh, some of your parishes have a phone tree. Andy and I were just talking earlier about that, about and uh, he mentioned that. That's beautiful. A phone tree to make sure we stay engaged. Okay. Uh, okay. That's 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 kind of one part of it that I would encourage you. But as far as attending, what? How am I gonna? How am I gonna sell, uh, attend kind of mass if if that's what's going on going on? I've got. I'm gonna for one hour on Sundays. I'm gonna do this thing. Okay. So I would just say try to make it as incarnational as possible. There's there's a big difference in sitting on your lazy boy and watching EWTN. And standing up, making the sign of the cross with your priest at your parish and praying together and having, you know, you can have all of your readings and stuff already prepared. The USCCB website has all of that stuff for each day. Okay. Um, and I would just encourage you to start, see if you can enhance that. Just like the carrying the branches, there's different levels. You can enhance that, especially on Sundays. Do you have holy water in your home? Does anybody have holy water in their home? Well, then before I'm going to begin Mass, I'm going to dip my hands in the holy water and I'm going to make the sign of the cross for our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. Okay? It's a simple way, isn't it? Just like you will enter into, it's a way to, to designate this time in this space. Okay? Um, now I'm going to go a little crazier. Some of you might or might not have incense and a little a burner of incense. Okay? 
Look in Revelations chapter five, verse eight. Revelations chapter five, verse eight. It says the rising of the incense is the is the prayers of the saints being lifted up to God. Well, we are very much a uh, physical beings. We need to smell. We need to see. And that 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 smoke rising. I was just saying to to, to my wife. I'm saying, you know, it's so unfortunate. So many of our parishes, even if they are live streaming, are kind of low mass. They're not singing. And they could, you know, we could do this, right? Melanie, take yourself off from you. Yeah. Oh, Christ God, that we were singing at the beginning. Oh, Christ God, when you raise Lazarus from the dead. I know Melanie has a beautiful voice. My point is this, that we could encourage our pastors to, to incorporate their, their, you know, chanters and things into their services. So that, and this is on Sunday, this is what I do with my parish, is that I have my chanters at their homes doing parts of the liturgy, and that's important. But I guess my point about that is just engagement is good. And the more you can engage. So if you have a, 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 a you know, a little thing for incense and to put some incense in there and to offer your prayers in that moment, right? Or maybe it's during the offertory. Damn, I'm praying for my mother who's sick. I'm praying for Father Hezekiah, who's crazy. I'm praying, you know, whatever you're praying for, okay? I'm praying for all these people suffering right now. All right. What about a candle? How many of you have a candle at home? Put a candle in your prayer spot. These are physical ways I designate this time and space. Um, I choose the chair that I'm going to use for, you know, if I'm going to sit down during the reading, I'm going to sit down on a chair like, like this, not on a lazy boy. You know, I can see this in a church, maybe, right? Maybe. Anyways. Um, and then and then I'm going to kneel down when it's time. And if you're too old, you can't get up. If you kneel down, don't, please. Nobody's going to come to get you. But but uh, uh, do the best you can. That's the point of that. I'm going to I'm going to make the sign of the cross. I'm going to bow. If if, um, if I'm if there's no singing going on, this was my point about singing. If there's no singing going on, you can sing before you start your the broadcast, and you can sing at the end of the Mass. Okay? Fine. Whatever song, you know, of him that you know. You know that one. You know one verse of it. Sing it. Okay? Open your heart up to the Lord that way. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, that's my answer, Melanie. Oh, no, one last thing. What about where you put your computer? I think that's really important, right? So I would... I'm not a big fan of bowing down before computers. I want to bow down before the Lord. So I'm going to have my my icon of Jesus or my crucifix there. And, and then I might have my computer maybe just to the side a little bit so that it's not the central focus of my attention or maybe just down below it a little bit, right? But nevertheless, I have the physical things in my room and that, that the computer may be right in front of me, but it's not the, the end all, you know what I mean, of, of what I'm looking at. Father, I just wanted to um, say that last Sunday, Tom and I, um, we did our mass at the regular mass time that we do, even though EWTN has the mass on at 7 a.m. We we did our mass at 8 a.m., which is our regular mass time, and we dressed like we were going to mass, and I wore my veil and everything. Good idea. That was important, yeah, to dress up. Dress up nice. And then, just look, let me, everybody thinks, I got to get as close as I can, so I have to attend mass online. No, you don't have to attend Mass online, okay? You can print off the prayers of the service and pray them, okay? Honestly, you want to know my, the heart of Father Hezekiah? I know I'm broadcasting for my parish because everybody's not in a different spiritual place, and some people aren't really ready to make that space in their home, but I'm talking to the, 
you guys are the Pharisees of the Christians. Right? You guys are like the really hardcore ones. Here we are on Friday morning, all gathered together to do a Bible study. So you guys are the hardcore ones. So I'm just going to speak to you. To be honest with you, if it was with my family and I wasn't a priest, I would turn off the computer and I would pray through the service. That's what I would do. And I would sing because our family sings a lot. Okay, I'm not saying not to watch Mass online, but I'm just saying don't feel that that's the only way that you can draw close to the Lord. Getting dressed, uh, your time, absolutely. Okay, what else? Father, someone's writing in with an idea to, on Good Friday, venerate the cross with a in your living room before, kneeling before it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kneel down, prostrate before the cross. Absolutely. What about what about your festivity, guys? Come on, you know Father Hezekiah likes food. Make your plan for food. What are you going to have? You know, I was talking with the, some of the staff earlier. I said, you know why? You know how the, like the Italians will have their fish dinner on Christmas Eve. You've heard about that, right? A lot of actually uh, the Ukrainians do that, and so the big fish dinner Christmas Eve. Why? Well, because that's all they could eat. They were fasting during Advent. Okay, they were allowed to eat fish. So they actually fish was considered during the fasting period to be this kind of wonderful thing. So, um, so it, it is it's customary among like in the among the in the Byzantine tradition to have where you're allowed to have fish on Palm Sunday, Annunciation on Palm Sunday. There's only days during Lent you can have fish. So we're gonna have a big. We're gonna get some salmon. I'm gonna go down to the store and get. I'm gonna like you know risk my my life by going to the store for a piece of salmon. And um, and we're gonna have a big big salmon dinner. My point is, whatever you're doing, make it special. Make your plan for your dinner like you plan for Thanksgiving. Okay, get yourself a nice bottle of wine or three, and then and, you know and 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 just enjoy the day together as a family. Or if you're not with your family, if you're if you're if you're single, nevertheless you can make a beautiful meal, you know, and and really enjoy that time. And uh, and just plan out your day for Palm Sunday, okay? We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.